Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Pacey Performance Bite Size. So this clip comes from episode number 296 with Ben Ashworth, where we discuss shoulder health and the ash test. So really interesting clip from Ben. But just before we do dive into this clip, I want to say a big thanks to Rock Daisy for sponsoring this episode today. So if you're collecting subjective data and you want to house it, visualize it and present it to coaches in a really cool, effective way, you can do for free via Rock Daisy's AMS Lite. So check it out at rockdaisy.com. So we touched on this two and a half years ago. But the ash test give us yeah. the background and the work that went behind that and what it actually is then we'll we'll use that as a bit of a jumping off point all right that's cool yeah the last when i spoke to you last time i was so cagey about it it was horrible but i felt like i i was really careful about not publicizing something that we didn't know anything about yeah right we had some initial good findings so so the test is basically an isometric three second maximal test um in terms of seeing it or looking at videos you know i've done some webinars on it and i've uh, it, there's some stuff online as well which we can link to but um but essentially it's a prone line test in three positions and a long lever position so an eye test a y test and a t test so kind of 180 degrees in fact i can show you kind of 180 a 135 and a 90 degree position lying prone um and the 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 test itself came from a conversation with some really good people at saracens so it was paddy hogben strength and conditioning coach laura tulloch um is a physio uh daniel cohen who's my go-to force person and uh i'd done a lot of work with him at arsenal and then nav singh who was um you know the data analyst or sports scientist at Arsenal who was helping us with the daily monitoring so all those heads were better than one and we basically were looking at the fact that Sarri's had some issues around quantifying end stage return to play prior to going into kind of long lever tackling and they were doing a load of handheld dynamometer testing they would look at gym based markers and they were guys who were super strong who could produce force with short levers who, when they were exposed to long lever tackles or arm grab tackles, would have symptoms of instability or actually pain and would break down. So it was finding a way of quantifying that. So I think I was at St. George's Park at the time. And I, had a, I might have actually had a beer mat, but it, you know, it, it was definitely drawn up on the back of a beer mat. And then when I got back to Arsenal, I did some pilot work on my, my N equals one self. And it seemed to make a lot of sense. And it fitted with the hamstring isometrics we were doing at the time. Anyway, then the Saris guys, the team there, ran with it. And what they did was they did a lot of pilot work on a number of people. And we met as a group to discuss what they were finding and how we could modify that quite regularly. Good learning for all of us, really, um, around this problem solving. And so at the end of the day, they found a lot of stuff in their pilot testing that, that was of great interest. So historical shoulder problems that had big asymmetries or guys who you know passed certain tests but didn't pass others or guys coming back from surgery who at certain stages were having definite deficits still that weren't even uh, some of them they did in the pilot study who then became injured they then had a pre-injury benchmark for so they could use that so long story short we had a number of case studies 
that showed really interesting stuff. And I think that was about the time I spoke to you. Um, yeah, I don't think you can. I don't think you can mention Saracens when we spoke. No, I, I don't I think, think you I have to could. keep that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't think I, I could. And, and the guys there have been really good about like sharing the information. You know, as long as it's de-identified, you know, we published it. I mean, we published it as a a non-sexy reliability piece, but that was I was determined to get that done to show that it worked and could give you reliable data. Because from my world at the time, that was so important. Um, but what I really wanted to get onto was sharing it so that people could apply it. And what's happened since then is, you know, I mean, yeah, I'm trying to use a word that isn't viral, but you know, it, it it's it's essentially I'm getting I'm getting emails pinging pinged with emails from from you know, volleyball coaches in 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 various countries like sevens teams, you know, women's sevens in New Zealand, you know, wherever it is, who are asking about this test now because it's out there in the public domain. Um, Daniel Cohen and I have written a BGSM editorial about basically rate of force development and using that as one test as part of a cluster of tests, like with a plyometric push-up, with the original handheld dynamometry stuff, or using a force frame. You know, it 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 fills a knowledge gap. There's a this long lever test seems to hit stuff that others other tests don't, and it is very applicable uh, to people I have conversations with in Major League Baseball. Um, you know talking to tennis and British tennis, it's very applicable. And now we've got some really interesting information from a number of studies that not only looks at injury risk when compared to this, but also stacks up um, against performance markers. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's growing all the time. It's not at the stage of lower body literature and, and understanding, but it's, it's this area that I'm really keen on making sure we we uh you know build and develop the ideas as fast as we can mm -hmm. one thing i saw the other day and i, I put it on the on the email that I, I fired over the message that i fired over was the force hooks is that what they're called yes. force hook yes because yeah. there's an image of the guy i think i think it might have been a girl on line pro on the bench and yeah yeah could that could that be utilized instead of a force play because i'm i'm guessing it, you might tell me wrong but i don't think this product's out yet but they're doing a lot of bit of publicity around it and might be That's a cheaper right. option than a force plate. Yeah, so I already told you I'm. I already told you I'm straight to the point. I've called. Yeah. I called. I called them up and I wanted yeah. to chat because actually they put the ash test using a bar prone using the the force hooks, and I had a good good conversation about that. So it comes back to the thought process. You know, we decided to do it in those positions using a force platform because it was stable. It takes out human error and also it gives you RFD, which other other tests don't. So they'll give you peak force, but it won't give you RFD. So as a compromise, something like a handheld dynamometer can be used. Even a SFIG cuff, so the squeeze cuff that used for adductors, can be used because I've supervised an MSC project that looked at the correlation between the force platform and the ash test and, um, and the SFIG cuff just so that it can get out to the wider population. But ultimately, you're missing a big piece of the puzzle, which is rate of force development. Um, we'll know, come back I, to that in a minute just remind yeah, myself yeah. yeah no worries and I think that the, the other thing about that to say is there's some guys who have sunken force platforms just by their facilities and they've used a dumbbell on the platform in the same positions just because they see the value of the positions as long as you standardise and do your own internal validation on your test and it's reliable and repeatable then yeah 
it, I'm, I'm not saying it's the right or wrong thing to do. I'm just saying that, you know, we're building a body of knowledge around one thing. We've standardized that and we know it works. How you decide to apply it with your own cohort of athletes. I've got the, uh, I've got the force platforms in my flat from the last few weeks and I've been playing around with different angles. So, you know, just in terms of ball release for, for baseball and yeah, there's some other bits and pieces I'm playing around with for my PhD when that kind of kicks back in. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not precious about it being the only test. It's just interesting. I think looking at longer levers, um, and what that relates to. Yeah. Who are the guys behind the force hooks? Seems like you've spoken to them. Is it independent? Uh, James, yeah. Uh, Jason is, um, the main guy and he's, um, developed that he's working, uh, with, um, Sophie Nymphius, I believe. And, uh, yeah, they're working down there in Australia. Um, yeah. And, you know, again, I, as I understand it, that's going to be at some point in the next few months is going to be available. I think they're just making some, you know, uh, last minute sort of modifications to the product before the launch. Yeah, nice. So back to RFD. Why so? Why so yeah. important? Why so important? Well, all the meaningful actions of injury and performance happen in a very short time window, and um, you know, if you look at lower limb literature, which is Basically, what I'm doing is I'm hacking into lower limb stuff that's already been done and then trying to apply it to the upper body, which makes sense to me. Um, if you look at a if you look at a drop jump, you know, athletes can't necessarily perform a decent drop jump the day after a game in football, but they can probably do a reasonably normal counter movement jump. So if you give people longer to produce force, then not anybody can do it, but you know, you, you can, you can get away with it. You can, you can still perform in tests. So the reason for the RFD stuff is that in, in my eyes, it's a sensitive marker of fatigue and it's something that can be, whilst it's quite a volatile metric in a number of areas. And as you know, in the literature, if you look at it, if you've got um, a coefficient of variation of under 15% in your RFD, you're probably doing pretty well. We've seen RFD in the ASH test of 5% across four trials, you know. So the, the most important thing just on that is the familiarization and the education around it before you go in cold and try and do it. But the RFD is, um, you know, it's, it's not how big a muscle is. It's how quickly you can switch it on at the right place in the right time. And it probably talks to the neural elements of force production a little bit more than it does to the architectural components of force production um and all this knowledge comes from again a conversation where i read a 20 page nick maffioletti paper and then i called him up because alan mccall had his number and he was gracious enough to give me 60 minutes of his time which was some of the best learning on rfd that you can get firsthand from the man himself and he said there's not a lot of stuff being done in upper limb rfd and it was true when i looked at the research but to get the best out of that test you really need to understand rate of force development before you go down that route of looking at it. Yeah. As a variable. Yeah. So this will be the last question before I let you shoot on. We get on with your evening. Where next, where next for this area? I know you've mentioned uh, the PhD when that kicks back in, but where next in this area for you? Well, I've maintained conversations around my athletic shoulder business with, with baseball, with, um, 
you know, the LTA with uh, rugby teams. So I think the first thing is understanding where we're at. So you know, people sort of want to go to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. But firstly, let's let's capture what we've already got. We've got a number of really interesting case studies there um, around just the ash test, but also how the ash test interacts with other measures that people are generally doing, like 1RMs in the gym, like, you know, connection from from CMJs to an upper limb test of, you know, rate of force and force. Or maybe there's something in that, you know, and certainly the project I'm working in with the LTA on there is is around transfer of force. And if you're not utilizing and storing and optimizing your force production from the lower body, then you're basically catching up and overloading through your shoulder. So if you've got all that information already, and most teams do, it's then the understanding of how to put it together and then match that up against injury and match that up against performance. And I think that it's it's a pretty easy step to do, but you need to have a little bit of foresight to start to collect that information, to then stack that up over a few seasons to see what happens with it. And maybe we need to pull some data from a couple of teams now um, who are using ash testing alongside other markers to do what we're doing with lower body, which is which is the norm, you know, looking at squat, looking at percentage body weight, looking at absolute and relative values. How do they all interact? Um, and that's probably the next step for us. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Pacey Performance Bite Size. As I said, this clip came from episode number 296, and you can check that out on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Big thanks to Rock Daisy for sponsoring this episode today, and I'll chat to you soon.